Welcome to the LIPN Podcast, brought to you by the members of the Long Island Professional Network, where business professionals come to grow. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Merrill Loeschner, Marketing Communications Consultant and Podcast Producer for Smith Douglas Associates. A few months ago, a friend's web design firm was hit with a ransomware attack. It took her weeks to get her business running again. As a small business owner, I found this terrifying. So I reached out through the Long Island Professional Network to Tom Nose of Datasoft Now to learn more about what's out there and how I could protect myself. Hey, Tom, thank you very much for joining us today. There was a lot of stuff going on in the news all about cybersecurity and the like. I was reading something from Inc. saying that 60% of small companies that get hit with a cyber attack go out of business in six months. And that could be really scary. So why are hackers going after us little guys? So hackers are going after the little guys because they don't have the funds necessary to properly protect themselves. Look at Atlanta, city of Atlanta. They spent $17 million on the infrastructure. The ransomware that they got hit with only cost them $50,000. $17 million of infrastructure change is what they made in order to protect themselves against future attacks. The smaller guys don't have the funds nor the money to protect themselves. But that doesn't matter. There are certain things that they can do to protect themselves from incidences. And there are, sometimes it's just a simple configuration. And then the other piece is to make a plan develop a plan to make changes in your infrastructure. That doesn't mean it all has to happen today, but if you don't have a plan, you go nowhere. So the best thing to do is you do an assessment. We create reports. We say this is where you need to make changes. And even if it took two years to make those changes, so what? The main thing is that you're gonna be better tomorrow than you are today. So, but the little guys, uh, they go after them because I'll give you a quick example where a small law firm, for example, they uh, become a co-counsel of a larger law firm. The larger law firm actually is the hack. That's their target. They want to go after the larger law firm. And they can't get into the larger law firm because the larger law firm actually has the infrastructure to protect them. And let's just say that you have a friend at that law firm and he hires you as co-counsel on a real estate that on a matter that they have, but you will be co-counsel because you're a professional in real estate. But you're a one office person, you have a one assistant, and you really don't have the infrastructure to protect yourself properly. So hackers, through investigation, so all it needs is to be is anything on the internet, a news release or anything else like that and the hackers take their time that's what they do this is their job this is how they make money and they look for things on the internet about the major law firm that is their target and they find out who they're talking to your law firm gets mentioned now they're coming after you why are they coming after you because through you they want to get to the big guy. Isn't that what happened with Target? They actually got hit through an HVAC system? That's exactly it. So actually it's almost every single time that's actually what happens is that they go after the small guy 
they get into the small guy and then what they're doing is they, they plant root kits to uh, what a root kit does is it actually records keystrokes so when they see a login a username pop up in the keystroke they know what's coming next is the password now they have the key to the to the uh, house of the, of the other firm so that's what they do uh, ransomware is a little bit different but root kicks are when they want to go after a little guy they use a root kit install it it doesn't get picked up because it really all it is is a file and i'll give you an example it's the same thing with ransomware uh, the way that they work is they actually will download a file that actually has no malware or anything in it. All it does, it, it goes by a timer and reaches out to the internet for instructions. It gets those instructions and downloads those instructions and runs, which case, copy this malware to this PC, to this PC. Or it actually will start a little differently in that what it'll do is it will first run a command that says, tell me all the PCs in the environment. And then it doesn't send it back that night. It waits till the next night and then it uploads that to the PC, then it, to, the, uh, to the hackers. Then the hacker will give it another command to say, okay, connect to that PC the next night. So it could take a month before they understand the complete environment and have installed their malware on all your PCs. That's sort of how rootkits work. That's how uh, ransomware specifically, that is how that works. And that's why even though you get ransomware, nothing pops up and nothing happens for down the road. And that's sort of why backups really aren't the protection for ransomware. Especially if you've already backed up the, the ransomware the program, ransomware. the minute you reinstall it, you still have the ransomware there. That's correct, because the ransomware is based on a time element, and actually will just reach out and say, oh, I'm supposed to have already run, and then it, it runs again. So even if you did a, a backup and a restore, your data's still gone. So from the day that you got the ransomware, it's how far back. So let's say three weeks went by, and you tell me what company can wait three weeks and lose all that data and go back to prior. Not only that, you actually have to find it and look at your backups to see where it is that it, that it got installed. Hmm. So, so there are a lot of things and reasons why you really want to be protected and take forward actions against any kind of malware or cyber attack. The cost is just astronomical. I'm assuming that the everyday antivirus software that most people have on their computers isn't quite up to the task. Well, so I can give you a very clear example on ransomware. Do you encrypt files on your PC? I have no idea. In Actually, in Word, in Excel, you can actually go there and say, encrypt this file. So it's a normal process of a PC to encrypt a file. So the fact that it's going to ink, this process is going to encrypt all the files, it's not something that can get caught. Microsoft has come up with a detection where it says, okay, if more than a thousand files are being encrypted within a certain time frame, we know we got a problem. But that's the only way to do it. So, because it's a normal process of a PC. It's the same thing, copying the malware from one PC to another. It's a normal process of every day, what people do today. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your own PC and you want to put something on your other PC, you do a file copy to the other PC. So it's not something that's going to get reported. 
in a, a malware software. What are some of the other forms of hacking? We know about ransomware. I read something about crypto mining and phishing attacks. What, what are these? Well, a phishing attack is pretty simple, and I actually got caught myself. It was, it was stunning. My wife was making fun of me. So the example is that I have an iPhone and you have a credit card associated with your iPhone. Well, my credit card did actually expire and I never renewed it. And I got an email on a Saturday morning to update my uh, account, my credit card. Well, that was a fraudulent email. Mm -hmm. So I actually clicked on the link and I got brought to what looked exactly like an Apple site, put my login and credentials in, and boom, on my phone pops up, are you trying to log in in Ottawa, Canada? So at that point, you know, I immediately knew that I just, you know, you knew you made a mistake. So, so even the experts can get fooled by these guys. That's correct. And again, if you think, look at the how I got to that point, I just, I didn't. I knew my credit card was expired. And so when I got the email, it just worked. <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's a phishing attack where they're phishing to see if they can get you to click on a link or something like that. If people suddenly realize their computer is slowing down dramatically, that's usually some sort of sign for malware? You really need to do the investigations. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of, there could be a memory leak on a, on a piece of software that you have. But yes, normally that's stuff that's processing in the background on the PC. I, I don't know that I, we find that anymore, other than the fact that you don't have, if your virus software got uh, disabled, or you don't have it on there, and yeah, so you have pop-ups, Internet Explorer, that's, that's when you really have a problem. In today's world, you really don't see that as much as you used to, but it is out there. And yes, it's really more about network traffic where not so much something running on your PC, but when you're trying to get to an internet site. That is when you know that something is going on on your network, when you see it's slower than normal. So that may be one of the first clues that you're, there may be something going on with your computer system? Because most of the time, unless you've get a ransom note from ransomware or you may not know that something's going on with your system. That's correct. And you know, you mentioned Bitcoin before, mm -hmm. right? And so bit mining. So actually what uh, hackers have done have taken over other PCs in somebody's environment and are running the uh, bit mining software. And they're collecting the money and you're not and they're using your processing power. Yeah, I think I heard something about that that yeah. was the crypto mining. Correct. Correct. And and that's you know, bitcoins is, is not something that's not cybercrime, but it's a way of getting paid for cybercrime. What are some of the legal ramifications of getting hacked? Like we were talking about the target thing. If I'm the little HVAC company that was the gateway for a major hack, what what happens to my business? If you were doing absolutely nothing to protect your environment, there is a liability. It's just like, you know, uh, having a car accident, you, you have a certain amount of liability. When there's a compliance issue and you haven't been in compliance with your own rules and regulations. And those so, are things that happen with finance and law and medicine. There are certain l laws correct. in event to protect data. 
That's correct. So if you're not following the guidelines, or let's even say that you say you are, and you signed off on it, and you're not, and you get hacked, you could be held 100% liable for somebody's information. So that that is actually very, very important. Even New York State has developed a set of regulations for anything that has, it's actually called the Department of Finance. So anything where it has to do with finance, like real estate, mortgage companies, like you mentioned, even insurance companies, they're all regulated by this new MYDFS Part 500 uh, regulation in that they actually have to do security assessments. They actually have to have a security program approved by a cybersecurity professional which is, they actually use the word a CISO, which is a uh, computer information security professional. Again, there are all kinds of regulations. Every single company, it has nothing to do with big companies. Mm-hmm. It has to do with every single company. If, if you are a small doctor and you're doing foot care, and somebody comes in with their credit card and you're writing that information down on a piece of paper, you could be held personally liable if that data is not protected properly. How long have you been doing this and what made you decide to get into cybersecurity? So I, I was an IT director for a major law firm in Manhattan for over 21 years. The last uh, nine years that I was there, and, and the exact date is November 11th, 2009, the FBI put out a report stating that there were major law firms that were hacked and their documents were showing up uh, on the dark web from Chinese companies. And so uh, they actually brought together all the law firms, the FBI, and I, there were close to 200 people in the room, and this was in Manhattan, and the gentleman from the FBI stood up and he says, I want you all to know, almost every single one of you are hacked. <laughs> and so from that day forward, is when the law firm industry really changed. And we did. We were the first law firm to actually have a security department, a security director, because it just became so important. And then the idea is there's a new mentality around cybersecurity and actually building from the ground up. You used to be go out and buy a PC. Today, you buy a PC, okay, what do I need uh, to protect myself? That's actually how companies are are working and it's, it's really called building from the ground up there actually is a brand new cybersecurity i'll call it a buzzword and it's called privacy engineering and it's it's it what the meaning is is that you're building uh privacy from the ground up as you build your company it's very very difficult to uh change in midstream very, very difficult. Uh, DLPs, which is data leak protection, is based on who owns and what uh, a document is. You can protect it. They call it data leak because it's data and leak out to the internet. So you can stop it from going out, but all the thousands and thousands of files on your network have to be identified and you have to do that manually one at a time. Oh my goodness. Correct. So that's why it's very difficult to do it uh, in midstream versus from the ground up. That's why it costs so much money. Right. And what sort of companies fall under these regulations? So the MIDFS Part 500 is mortgage companies, finance, real estate, insurance, 
So law firms are in the same situation. And I'll give you a quick example. So if a law firm is doing business with a bank, right? You now become a vendor of that bank. So any regulation that they're under are forced down to you. And so that's actually how it works. And that's actually what we went through. So we were doing close to 15 audits a year uh, where, like I mentioned, I was an IT director in, in a uh, law firm in Manhattan, and it was the clients coming and doing security audits with us. So that is the reason why we actually had to build a practice around it, separate from IT, because it was just too much work. And like I said, assessments sometimes, when you're that big, they're 1,500 questions. So if you are a small company and you're doing business with any company that falls under these mandates, that you will also have to meet... Yes, and that is actually what is happening. Even nonprofits are actually under NYDFS regulations. And yes, so if they're doing business with a, a larger company that is regulated by NYDFS, what happens is NYDFS, one of the rules and regulations is a third-party assessment. Third-party assessment is that vendor. And so that means you need to make sure that that person is following the, the rules and regulations under the NYDFS Part 500 regulation. So that it, it actually is handed down through a third-party regulation in that regulation. How can small companies protect their data? They don't have the resources of a target or the IBMs in the world. So how does a small family-run company, how do they protect their data? It's, there's a lot of different ways and it depends on their particular situation. I, I'll give you a quick, a quick example. One big way, and it's just a configuration change, is to remove and you work not as a local administrator. So when you first get a PC, a laptop, or anything like that, and you create a login ID, it's created with local administrative rights. The trick would be to remove that and then work as a standard user, they call it. And the idea of that is, if you do get hacked, the hacker can only work as you the person that's logged in so now they can't get to the operating system to the other files on the pc or to the other pcs on the network so that is actually the reason why and that's actually just a simple configuration change now how do you get to understand that believe it or not i believe they everybody needs to do any company needs to do a security assessment it doesn't have to be a full-blown uh, 1400 question security assessment so I actually do small companies it's a, it's a small firm and there's like about 80 questions that I go through and that gives me a real good idea of what their security stance is and then I just come back with a list of questions as I mentioned before you develop a plan based on uh, and suggestions based on the questions that you ask and actually to that point a security assessment the first step of a security assessment is actually a risk assessment what is a risk assessment a risk assessment is I talk to the owner of the company what assets in your company are important to you that needs to be protected and then you have that conversation first whether it's documents whether it's personnel whether it's the coat rack in the corner so, and, and again, cybersecurity or it's just security assessment are not just about your PC and data. It's actually about physical paper on a desktop. Uh, and so 
when I come in and I do a security assessment, the first thing I'm doing is looking around at everybody's desk. I want to see what paper and information is facing upward. Because if, if you're at the desk at the front when there are people walking off the street and there's a piece of paper with somebody's phone number and address and everything, that guy that just walked in just got it. So if the sticky note with your password's on the monitor. There you go. It, it's just, it's, so cybersecurity, security assessment are not just about your PC. It's about personal information and how to protect it or what is important to you, the owner of the company. How would someone in a small company justify the cost? Because everything is really tight these days. I don't have it in budget, but you know it's got to be done. How do, how do you make that work? The only way to justify that cost is to try to understand if you don't do it, you'll be out of business. It could cost you your business. It, it's really plain and simple. If you do nothing, it could cost you business. Not only that, if you are regulated by, like I said, the MIDFS, or even if it's the GDPR, you know, if you have a website and somebody from, from Europe gets onto your website and you didn't have the proper protocols and you're not protecting the data, those fines are very intense. It has nothing to do with you as a company. They actually come after the owner of the company. So actually, it is corporations are a veil of protection, but ever since Sarbanes-Oakley, uh, it is no longer that protection. They come after the owners. Interesting. So even if it's an LLC, they won't go only after the assets after the of the person. company, they go after the person. That's correct. Do you actually install programs on their servers to monitor what's going on? So I actually do have a piece of software where we monitor processes that are running on every PC. I mentioned to you before about uh, ransomware copying from one PC to another. When that actually happens, xcopy.exe runs. So I actually capture every single process that runs on a PC. If I see something like that occurring at two o'clock in the morning, I know there's something not right going on on that PC and the other PC. You actually have to look at the trail. That's why it's always good, not just to look at the processes that are running, but keep the data so that you can analyze the data as it jumps from one to another. Another real easy hack is actually companies that don't change their passwords and have RDP, remote desktop control, into their mm -hmm. office. That is actually the most way companies are being hacked. Now, believe it or not, it's very easily detected, very easily through this process, because mm -hmm. every single process that runs on a PC gets an alert is created uh, through event manager on the PC, and then I pick that up, and I see an RDP at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and it's not supposed to be happening. Now, it could very well be a user logging in, Again, I'm going to see the user's name, and then you trace it where it went, where it, where it copied files to, or where it copied files from. So you you actually get all of that information in the processes that I capture. Now, if these are processes that are running every single day, because one PC can actually run up to ten thousand processes a day, so you really have to. Uh, a process is actually associated with a login ID. If a process is run by a specific code which is actually associated with the local administrator, that's not going to be a hacker. That's actually, I'll give you an example where um, Microsoft Defender is doing an update 
it's actually run by the local administrator and it's actually a specific code to the code to the uh, kernel of the operating system and so that's something I just look to see if the file that ran is actually not malware and it's run by the local administrator I just ignore it how can you tell with all these files out there which are actual things and which are ransomware and malware and the like? So in my process, and that's what you call machine learning or uh, it's it just actually machine healing, I guess I'll call it process healing. What we do is we actually grab the hash of the file. A hash of a file of an executable and I can use Microsoft Word.exe. When they created that file, and you run a hash, you say, give me the hash of that file. That hash never changes. You take the hash and you go out to a site called virustotal.org. And if they have run that executable and you just give them the hash, they come back and tell you whether the file showed up as a virus. Now again, you can say the hash that they have is the hash that I got. It's the same exact file. I don't have to upload a file. I just look for the hash. And if the hash comes back clean, then I know it's clean. So that's actually where it works. Now, if they don't have it, then I have to go through the process of grabbing the file and then uploading to VirusTotal. And then they run it against seven virus softwares. Hmm. 70 virus software. Oh, wow. Correct. Uh, and sometimes you get one company might come up with a virus it actually could work the other way, where they don't capture one and one company does come up with it and it was a malware. And actually, actually what happened with, I mentioned to you before about, no, I did mention this, it has to do with an Apple email with an attachment, PDF that said it was an invoice, right? And I uploaded that to VirusTotal. Only one company caught it as a malware hmm. and it was a malware because that's actually what I got. Uh, Apple does not give you um, invoices in an email. You've got to go log on to their website. And so that's actually a good segue into a, a little bit of an awareness. Never open an attachment that you don't know that's coming. So you can catch hopefully viruses and malware as they come in. Can you clean them out? Well, again, the idea is to identify them, and the mm -hmm. answer is yes. You can probably clean out most in today's environment. So if you think about it, you really don't hear anything about viruses. Viruses were the thing that were very hard to clean because they really, really embedded themselves in the registry. But you can't get to the registry like you used to be able to. In Windows 8, Windows 7, Windows 10, you cannot get to the registry and do what you used to be able to do. So you should accept those Windows update when they pop up beyond the shadow of that that is clearly one of the, and we talked before how to protect yourself that's one of the items that i look for when i walk into somebody's environment i i look to see if they have automatic updates set up and uh you know make sure that they're being set up because that is so microsoft just released last week it was an exploit that they had in their windows 10 environment and they named there was a, a full list of applications that had this vulnerability in it. Now, no hackers actually knew it existed, but at that point in time when Microsoft released it, the hackers are now reverse engineering those updates. And the reason why they do that, because only 60% of the world's populations will apply them in the next, close to, I think it's six months, is, is what the time frame is. So, time frame is, so 
the hackers, all they got to do is develop um, a malware against those vulnerabilities and they're in. For small companies listening in on this and realizing that they probably should do something, before calling you, what are three things they should do today to make themselves safer? First thing is Microsoft updates. And I say Microsoft updates because most PCs and most people who we would be talking to are Windows environments. So the Microsoft updates is, is the major, the firewall protection on the network, and just plain awareness of not opening emails or clicking on links in emails that you don't know why you have it. So if, if you're expecting something and it is malware latent, there's just nothing you can do about that. But you just need to be aware. Uh, and then if it's a document that doesn't even know you were expecting something and it doesn't look right, call the person up. Same thing with if you receive an email from PayPal and they are not supposed to send any PDFs in an email, call them up. Same thing as anybody calls you up and asks you to remote your PC, do not allow it, hang up and call Microsoft yourself. Call the PC maker yourself because that's actually the better way to find out if that was somebody else really trying to go into your system. Well, thank you very much for your time. Have a fantastic week, and thanks for keeping us safe. Well, thank you very much. To talk with Tom directly about your data security concerns, call 646-206-7857 or visit his website at www.datasoftnow.com. Thank you for listening to the LIPN Podcast, brought to you by the Long Island Professional Network and produced by Smith Douglas Associates. To learn more about the LIPN, visit our website at lipn.org or join our meetup under Long Island Professional Network.